Welcome to the Six String Hayride podcast. We're covering all of your classic country and rockabilly needs. We have your hillbilly Shakespeare's from Hank Williams all the way to John Prine. We've got the best guitar players anywhere. Chad Atkins, Cliff Gallup, Luther Perkins. We've got the perfect way for you to get all of your Saturday night deal with the devil, honky-talking nonsense past the good Lord comes Sunday morning. Anything you need in the world of classic country and rockabilly, your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley, have got you covered. Okay, Hayride listeners, join us today for a topic that most of us probably don't like all that much. That topic is work. Here on Labor Day, we've decided to bring you a special episode featuring songs of the working person. We'll talk about working man blues. We'll talk about take this job and shove it. We'll talk about nine to five. But before we take this day that's been set aside to talk about the labor that working people do, we should probably talk about the origins of the holiday itself how it came to be, what it's meant to represent, and why it's so important to us as a nation and really just as a society at large. So here to tell us about the holiday, the origins of the holiday, what it means, and how it should fit into society at large, Jim. Jim, take it away. In recent years, Labor Day has often been regarded as the traditional end of summer, the traditional time when people are going back to school. It started happening more late August now, but Labor Day still kind of marks that traditional end of summer, beginning of the school year type point in our calendar. Labor Day is a phenomenon that has its roots in the late 1800s in american history once the civil war ends in 1865 aside from all of the difficulties of the reconstruction in the south there are two huge phenomena just spreading across the united states as a whole again this is about 1865 through about 1900 and this is a period where public education is growing around the country. School systems are becoming more formed and organized, especially in larger cities. You also have the adult version of that where cities are becoming more industrial. There are more factories, there are more manufacturing and more labor jobs. And the idea of workers banding together for it becomes a union for a system where they can negotiate and bargain and defend their rights as workers, as human beings, the conditions that they work in, the safety and the security of their positions, limited working hours, the beginning of the 40-hour work week. And safety laws that include issues such as fire and child labor laws. So during this late period in the 1800s, you have a, a growth in public education, you have a growth in industry and labor, 
you really start to have more of a clear distinction between a larger American city and a smaller rural area. In the late 1880s in Chicago, there's the famous Haymarket incident. The causes, the beliefs, the values, and the needs of the labor movement really come to a head. And in 1894, President Grover Cleveland is really trying to reestablish his popularity with the American people. And what begins is sort of a token olive branch or a token reaching out from politicians to the labor movement, they decide to create a holiday for a Monday in early September that will be devoted to an extra day off of work, a day of respect and thanks for laborers, for hard workers. Uh, If you're a ditch digger, if you're a farmer, if you're building the tractor that the farmer uses, if you're building the sewing machine that the farmer's family uses, whatever. It, it was a day to show respect to workers. And uh, again, in the United States and in Canada, which shares the same calendar for the same Labor Day holiday, it is a day of thanks and respect for people who work hard for a living. And of course, that comes out in American storytelling. And we have three offerings for you today. From 1969, we have the great Merle Haggard. From 1977, we have David Allen Coe writing for Johnny Paycheck. And in 1980, we have herself, the great, the legend, Dolly Parton. Now, the idea of storytelling to celebrate the working person, to celebrate labor, is really something that goes in our culture all the way back to the times when the railroad was being built in the early to mid-1800s. A lot of us as kids grew up learning, I've been working on the railroad. I've been working on the railroad all the live long day I've been working on the railroad just to pass the time away one of the stories we grew up with a folktale sort of thing is the legend of John Henry's hammer <laughs> John Henry he could hammer <laughs> He could whistle, he could sing He went to the mountain early in the morning Just to hear his hammer hurrying, Lord, Lord Hear his hammer hurrying Just to hear his hammer hurrying, Lord, Lord Hear his hammer hurrying And then there's the legend of John Henry's hammer This has a lot of cultural and social implications and relevance to it because it's the beginning of that era of man versus machine. Even now in modern science fiction, and to some extent when workers project out into the future, there's this 
either as a funny thing or as a deadly serious thing, you robots are going to replace us at work. And we've seen a ton of things become automated over the years. This is the early telling of that tale when you have a machine that can work to lay railroad track and to drive spikes. And all of a sudden you have a man in John Henry who is concerned about what that means for him, his livelihood and his family. And there's the epic showdown between man and machine. That is a constant theme in storytelling, in music, in literature. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So Chris has spent some time listening to these songs and coming up with his own thoughts about the day and the music that celebrates it. Chris, what do you got for us? But I've been working, man, dang near all my life, and I'll keep on working. Long as my two hands are fit to use. So this one is written and released by Merle Haggard in 1969 for the A Portrait of Merle Haggard album. Uh, before we really go down the road of this song, I do want to point out an amazing fact about the music business then. So this album comes out and it has some amazing songs on it. It has Working Man Blues. It has Hungry Eyes. Uh, it has a great cover of She Thinks I Still Care, which, of course, was made famous by George Jones. Those are songs that pretty much anyone would be amazed to have over the course of however long their career was. And yet, these just happen to be three songs on one of six albums that Merle Haggard released in 1969. So talk about a working man. I mean, that's that's really cranking them out without phoning it in. Uh, the song itself is about the pride that working folk take in showing up every day and working hard. If you read Loretta Lynn's biography or autobiography, Coal Miner's Daughter, you actually get a little bit of a taste of this. You know, her dad is a coal miner. He dies tragically young from illnesses that essentially are a result of his working in the mine. And yet, even though this lifestyle has taken her father from her, Loretta Lynn just can't help but praise his working, you know, his work ethic. Mostly I'm familiar with this song as it was in Willie Nelson's live set for a number of years with Jody Payne singing lead vocals. So I actually saw this song performed live by Willie's band on dozens of occasions and only a couple times by Merle himself. Uh, that's just due to the number of times I've seen Willie versus the number of times I saw Merle. Uh, I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that Roy Nichols, who we've talked about at some length on the podcast, plays guitar on the album and on the song. It's a big job just getting by with nine kids and a wife. But I've been working, man, dang near all my life, and I'll keep on working. You know, Chris, I always appreciate when you mention the plural number of times you've seen Willie and Merle. Um, someday, when we're done with the podcast, I will kill you for that. Uh, but for right now, let's get back to Merle and really one of the all-time classic 
songs for the working man he comes right out of the gate with it's a big job getting by with nine kids and a wife so it's not just working man blues in terms of going to the factory or going to the job every day it's and merle i don't know if i should pat you on the back and give you a cigar or remind you that there are other things you can do when you get home from work i'll take a walk around the block grab a book uh maybe spend some time with kids number one through eight i i don't know man but wow and you know he's correct you have any number of kids in a family and that's a big job in and of itself the genius of merle haggard's songwriting and this comes in the middle of that great era between mama tried and sing me back home where merle's really known for the outlaw or the prisoner type songs and this is the exact opposite this is a celebration of a person who manages to hold their tongue as needed who manages to stay home and not go as the song says bumming around Uh, this is the exact opposite of those prisoner songs this is a guy who admits that it's tough as hell but he is holding it together for the family and it's really kind of class and scene specific in the language after work the the working man's band-aid is to go have a beer and complain a little bit gotta buy my kids a brand new pair of shoes I drank a little beer in a tavern, cry a little bit of these working man blues. Here comes that working man. Merle's very clear. He has his beer in a tavern. He's not drinking at home because, you know, wife and nine kids. He good judgment call there. It's not a bar. It's not a lounge it's certainly not a nightclub it's a tavern it's a good old-fashioned neighborhood place to hit another cliche where likely everybody knows who you are Uh, the language is just brilliant throughout it's simple it creates a really truly realistic scene again the working man's band-aid you get done at the job you get to fuss and complain a little bit you have a drink you make sure you're taking care of your family you're making sure that when you blow off steam it's not in a way that's going to get you into one of the many other merle haggard songs where you are doing your complaints from behind the bars Uh, so as always merle incredible job as always thank you for the songs and the stories i think that i will have a little beer this evening in my front room when I am done working on this episode. The Great Merle Haggard, Working Man's Blues, May of 1969. I would also recommend that you check out the Jerry Lee Lewis cover version of this. And if this theme kind of gets to you, in 1973, Marge Piercy writes a wonderful poem to be of use. And it's really that same kind of spirit that Merle hits in this song. So yeah, clearly great songwriter tapping into themes of matter to all of us the great Merle Haggard 
working man, working man like me. Next up is take this job and shove it. Contrary to what a lot of people might think, and Chris is going to fill us in on the details there, this song is written by David Allen Coe in 1977. We just talked about Mr. Coe in our last episode because of his friendship with the great Chicago songwriter Steve Goodman. Coe has a tremendous hit with a song that Steve Goodman wrote. You never even call me by my name. And now we kind of have the flip side of the coin. David Allen Coe writes a wonderful song that becomes a big hit for somebody else. So he managed to do both in the mid to late 70s. He received a song from a great songwriter, had a huge hit with it as a performer, and then he turns around and writes a great song, hands it off to somebody else who turns it into a big hit. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Before my done left, took all reasons I was working for. I would like to point out that while it's not the most well-known aspect of David Allen Coe, he actually made a reasonably good name for himself writing songs for other folks. Uh, of course, this is a, a massive hit. As Jim mentioned, the song is written in 1977. Uh, I do want to point out for anyone who may think that this is a song that was written for a movie, that in fact, the film Take This Job and Shove It comes out four years later. So this is a case much like Ode to Billy Joe by Bobby Gentry, where the song itself is so compelling that eventually it becomes a movie. Another example of this is Harper Valley PTA. And she said, Mama got a note here from the Harper Valley PTA. David Allen Coe is asked, would he ever want to be a fireman? And he said, they can take that job and shove it. And depending on which version you read, either the phrase just starts turning around in his head or Billy Sherrill is there in the room and tells him, oh my God, you've got a song, go write a song. But either way, he very quickly composes the song. And I think anyone who's a creative person has had a version of this where you start thinking about something and you realize, wow, this is really good. And very quickly, you flesh out the idea. Now, initially, Coe pitches the song to George Jones, but nothing happens there. Somehow, word of the song gets back to Johnny Paycheck, and he reaches out to David Allen Coe and says, hey, I really want to record this song. Can I record this song? And... Coe allegedly doesn't really know Paycheck or know much about him, but he decides, yeah, sure, you can you can record my song. That would be great. And of course, the song becomes a huge number Take one. Take this hit. job and shove it. I work in here no more. done left, took all the reason I was working for. huge number one hit for Johnny Paycheck. 
uh, his only number one hit. Pete Drake plays pedal steel on this one. Very classic, but unfortunately, it leads to some falling out between Co and Paycheck. So Paycheck is doing the rounds, as is done in the music or the movie or the writing industry, where he's doing a press tour. And while he's doing this tour, he's asked about the writer of the song, and his response is, some guy in Nashville. And that apparently hurts David Allen Coe's feelings. They have some sort of falling out and there's just some bitterness there. And I understand that, I guess, from the standpoint of if somebody calls me and says, Hey, I heard the song of yours. I love it. I'd really like to record it. And I'm like, well, sure. You can record it. And then somebody asked them, Hey, who wrote that song that you wrote? I go, eh, some dude. I, I, I do understand how that could cause some consternation. You're right. This is the story of a guy, you know, with a factory job, wondering what the future holds. And, and then he gets a real solid answer to what the future holds because he, he comes right out and say, my woman done left and took all the reason I was working for. He, but the clever thing that David Allen Co. sets up here is a lot of listeners and i've seen people hear this song in a bar either from a cover band or from a jukebox and actively participated this is one of those songs like shout by the isley brothers or uh the oh caroline thing by uh neil diamond sweet caroline by neil diamond uh, that it becomes one of those audience participation things. You know, people stamp their foot, take this job and shove it. And if you really look at what Co is able to do as a writer, this is an inner monologue. Halfway through the song, right before it gets to another take this job and shove it, it's if I had the guts to say. right off my back. I had the guts to say Take this job and shove it I ain't working here no more Woman done left Took all the reason I was working for Better not try to stand in my way Cause I'm walking out the door You can take this job and shove it I ain't And then as you get towards the end of the song, it's one of these days I'm going to blow my top. This is very much like the character in the Merle Haggard song. This is a guy who would love to scream and yell and just get the hell out of town, but he doesn't. And in Take This Job and Shove It, it's a more active, more closer to the surface anger probably because the woman has left and there don't seem to be any children. So you have the luxury of being a little more wild with your emotions, but it's real clear that this is a guy who is stomping around either at home or on the way home from work. And this is what he wishes he could say, but Ultimately, this is a conversation that we've all had either with ourselves in our own minds or, you know, with a close friend or with a spouse or a partner. The idea of, you know, you get home from work and it's like, God, I'd really love to just tell them to just 
right up their hole. Um, but you know that you can't always get away with that. Uh, the song did go to number one in the Billboard charts here in the United States and number one in Canada as well. listening to this hey ride listeners i hope that they're treating you well on the job and i hope you get a little drink and a little family time when you're done that brings us to a single released in november of 1980 by herself the genius the queen the hair that's always closest to god dolly parton and nine to five this was influenced by a, a social activism group called Nine to Five. It was a group that was formed in the 70s to really advocate for the issue of equal pay and equal conditions across the workplace. Men, women, doesn't matter, equal across the board. That was their goal. Uh, it's a hell of a song. It's Dolly Parton becoming the kind of multimedia phenomena that we all know and love now. It's an excellent movie. And Chris, punch the clock. Well, interestingly, in my research, I did learn that 9 to 5, the organization, uh, which is the National Association of Working Women, uh, they actually have a building in Milwaukee. So I wasn't aware of this before I, I guess i don't know why i would have been but you know it's interesting how in looking things up for the podcast and researching things sometimes they they hit a little close to home so if anybody who is a part of that organization or has ever worked there or worked with them is listening to this you know just know that we appreciate what you're doing um sadly the issues that that organization was formed to take on literally my lifetime ago as they were formed in 1973. Uh, unfortunately, most of those issues are still not fully resolved today. So hopefully while progress has been made, hopefully it is not all the progress we'll ever see on those issues. Uh, as for the song itself, well, first let me pick a bone with one of our favorite whipping boys, Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, they actually call this song the most transformative of Parton's career, yet they only rank it at number seven on their list of the 50 best Dolly Parton songs. Now, full credit to Rolling Stone. They actually have a list of the 50 best Dolly Parton songs. Kind of makes me upset that I didn't think of that first. That's great. But come on, you're going to write this glowing thing about how this song is so transformative. And it was. It's definitely what made Dolly an icon outside of just the country music industry and fans. Like this is what blew her up in mainstream America was this song and this movie, but you're going to put her at number seven after talking about how this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, also for anyone who's wondering, number one was Jolene. Uh, this is actually Parton's only solo number one to ever hit number one on the billboard hot 100. She did get there as a duet with Kenny Rogers, 
with islands in the stream. She's also only the second woman to ever go number one country and pop with the same song. The other person there, I said we mentioned her earlier or the song earlier, and we'd mention it again. Harper Valley PTA by Jeannie C. Riley, written by the incomparable Tom T. Hall. She said, I'd like to address this meeting off the Harper Valley PTA. Well, there's Bobby Taylor sitting there, and seven times he's asked me for a date. And Mrs. Taylor sure seems to use a lot of ice whenever he's away. And Mr. Baker, can you tell us why your secretary had to leave this town? The only two times a woman has ever taken a song to number one pop and number one country, although hopefully it happens again right after this podcast and we get fact-checked because it's recent, uh, are those two times. Something else I thought was interesting when I was researching the story itself, uh, so I saw, I usually look up the personnel who play on a song when we're going to talk about it. Uh, I actually saw that Jeff Baxter, uh, Skunk Baxter, played guitar here. And my first thought was, this is really cool because I, I like Steely Dan. I like the Doobie Brothers. And so now I get to mention a guy who was a formative member of both of those groups. Uh, what I didn't know and was blown away to learn is that recently he's also been a consultant to U- to the U.S. Congress on missile defense. So you go skunk baxter is there anything you can't do actually you're right there is nothing that he can't do jeff baxter is the human physical example the the motivation the idea if you look at the guitar player in the muppets band dr teeth and electric mayhem and jim henson had commented on this when he was still with us Jeff Baxter is the physical model for the guitar player in the Dr. Teeth band. So, yeah, you know, you're right, man. There is nothing, you know, Renaissance man, Jeff Baxter. One of the things I actually have always found interesting about this song uh, from a technical aspect is that it's, it's one of the only songs I can think of that actually features a typewriter as an instrument. They let you dream just to watch them shatter. You're just a step on the boss man's ladder, but you got dreams he'll never take away. On the same boat with a lot of your friends, waiting for the day your ship will come in and the tide's gonna turn and it's all gonna roll your way. Essentially, she was just rubbing her, her nails together. She had acrylic nails. She was rubbing them together to try and simulate the sound she wanted for the intro and realized it sounded like a typewriter. I've referred to Dolly as an interstellar goddess on the podcast in the past. And this song really sums up a lot of why. So you watch the movie. It's about working women who clearly are not getting their due and they're being taken advantage of in various ways. On a personal level, I really think that this song in many ways is the culmination of what the best songwriters can give us. The lyrics are specific enough that almost any level of worker on the corporate ladder can identify with it. Uh, I don't care if you're on the floor of a factory, if you are working the front desk at an organization, if you are in middle management. These lyrics are 
specific enough about the plight of working folk that you will find a way that they are referencing you. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living, barely getting by. It's all taken and no giving, they just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy and you And yet, if you watch the movie, if you read up on the movement, clearly the song as performed for the movie is about women working women and the abuses and stresses that they've suffered choosing not to be specific and make the song only for women gives it a much wider audience. I, I just, there's a brilliance with that that I don't think can be overstated. I mean, if you just look at some of the lyrics, you have lyrics like want to move ahead, but the boss won't seem to let me. I swear. Sometimes that man is out to get me or Nine to five for service and devotion. You would think that I would deserve a fat promotion. Okay, there's nothing in those lyrics that say, boy, women should get promotions or ah, the boss is out to get the women. We know that from watching the movie, but when performing the song, Parton finds a way to bring it to everyone. And I just don't think you can overstate that enough. I It's, it's on par with a song like Oki from Muskogee, which can either be pro or anti-establishment, depending on the listener. I'm going to agree with you all around on that one, Chris. Uh, everybody knows how we feel about Dolly Parton. And uh, let me try to take these in order. I think you're right to compliment Rolling Stone for putting the work into developing a top Dolly Parton song list. And... I think we all know how Chris and I feel about Rolling Stone and their lists. We had a combined eight hours of episode time responding to their top 20 list. Uh, take that, Avengers movies. But we all know that a top Dolly Parton song list is going to be three songs. It's going to be Jolene because, come on, man, Jolene. And then it's going to be I Will Always Love You, because of that phenomena of Dolly writing a song that becomes this incredible international huge hit record for somebody else. And that's Dolly reaching out to the world and, you know, her songs can be done by anyone and they're for everyone. And then the other one is going to be nine to five and Rolling Stone was right to describe this as transformative, but, you know, Rolling Stone, if that's what you're really saying, then you got to have the nerve to actually put the song in the top three. Because, yes, this is the beginning of Dolly as a movie star and a songwriter and an actress, you know, just overall celebrity Dolly. There is nothing that is beyond her sparkly reach. Stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five And yes, we know that as far as the, the issues and the vibe of the song Women have always had the more righteous argument About fair treatment in the workplace 
But Chris, like you said, I mean, it's written in such a way that it's universal. I right away stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition. Whatever your morning routine, folks, whatever it is, you know, she paints this picture that you can almost see Dolly, you know, in the big fuzzy pink bathrobe, making coffee, giant mug in her hand. Something that we can all picture ourselves doing in real time. One of the things that keeps us from falling asleep easily at night is imagining what we're going to be doing the next morning. And, And she just nails that. And then the idea that, you know, the boss taking credit for your work, the boss keeping you limited so they can look better. That's another one of those universal things where we have all felt that. listeners thank you very much for spending some time not working with us hopefully you're having a relaxing time doing whatever it is you do for fun and yeah please listen to the six string hayride while you're doing that uh here is a suggested list of other work songs that we think you would be very happy to give a listen to Of course, there's the big three that most of us encounter when we're kids. I've been working on the railroad. I've been working on the railroad All the live long day I've been working on the railroad Just to pass the time away The legend of John Henry's hammer I can hoist a jack I can lay a track I can pick and shovel too Lord, Lord Pick and shovel too I can pick and shovel too Lord, Lord Pick and shovel too The other one that we hear a lot as kids and it doesn't really click is a labor song is from snow white hi ho hi ho you know as the dwarfs go off to work of our list would be I Just Want to Bang on the Drum All Day from Todd Rundgren. The Finest Work Song from R.E.M. The time to 
Working Class Hero from John Lennon. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. You can't talk Labor Day without talking about Taking Care of Business by Bachman Turner Overdrive. Farm from Bob Dylan. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. The Great Salt of the Earth from the Rolling Stones. to the hardworking people. The lonely of birth. Raise your glass to the good and the evil. Let's drink to the salt of the earth. Career opportunity from Joe Strummer in the Clash. And then we have Working in a Coal Mine, written by Alan Toussaint, made famous by Lee Dorsey. Working in a coal mine, going down, down, down. Working in a coal mine, whoop, about to step down. Working in a coal mine, going down, down, down. Working in a coal mine, whoop, about to slip down. Five o'clock in the morning, I'm already up and gone. Lord, I'm so tired. How long can this go on? And 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford. 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. And I think one of the all-time classic American songwriters, we have Woody Guthrie with The Union Maid. Get you a man that's a union man. Join the ladies' auxiliary. Married life ain't hard. You're packing a union card. And a married man has a happy life if he's got a union wife. So you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. 
I'm sticking to the union until the day I die. And here's Chris with today's drink-related advice. I'll drink my beer in a tavern, sing a little bit of these working man blues. Normally this is where we've been giving you a recipe from the official cocktail book of John Wayne. But we're going to do something a little bit different to celebrate the working man. We suggest that you go have a shot and a beer of whatever your favorites are. And we're going to do the same. Jim, pretty sure I know the answer to this, but why don't you tell the listeners your favorite shot in a beer? Thanks, Chris. And thank you, Hayride listeners. Cheers. Good health to you and your families. I will be having a pint of Guinness and a shot of 12-year-old Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey. It's not really something you do a shot of, but probably my favorite straight alcohol these days is Oban Scotch. I'm going to have myself a nice glass of Oban's Little Bay. Uh, it's a blend of various Oban single malts. And to go along with that, going to drink me this O'Malley Stout, which I just cracked open to take this episode home with. Solidarity forever for the union makes us strong. I'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking, bopping, and very much unbroken. So thank you for sticking with us. We will see you down the road real soon. And again, whether it's in your home, in your community, wherever it is you do your thing, keep your circle unbroken. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you real soon. Oh, can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a bitter home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the I'll rejoin them in a song I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne No, the circle won't be broken By and by, Lord, by and by Remember, the force will be with you, always.